I'm Melanie Sayward and you are tuning in to The Pink Elephant. Hey there and welcome to The Pink Elephant Podcast where we discuss the most undiscussed issue in the body of Christ today. That despite all we know, it can feel like there is something missing in our faith experience. In the last month's episode, I mentioned the topic of false humility. I mentioned that I'd recently had some experiences with false humility and that I'd probably end up doing an episode about it. Well, I suppose that happened quicker than I thought it would. Look, in a nutshell, I recently moved on from a relationship of sorts and it was really quite painful, which is probably natural. But what I was surprised by was the level of shame and guilt and other issues that came to the surface in the aftermath. So when I asked God what was going on in me, I felt like he said that I had been deceived by false humility. Since then, I've realized that there are actually a lot of relationships I've had with friends and otherwise where I've put my trust in someone because I thought they were humble, only to find out that they really weren't and I was deceived by false humility. So naturally, I have had some follow-up questions for God over the last couple of months. The kind of things I've been asking is, how could I have been deceived? Is being deceived by false humility really that much of a risk? What is it about false humility that's able to blind me from its presence? And probably the biggest question is, how can I prevent myself from being in this situation again? So they're just some of the thoughts and the answers that I hope to share with you in this episode. Because the truth is, false humility is actually really prevalent amongst Christians, maybe even more than genuine humility. And I've had to confront false humility in myself as a result, which has been tough to do. But I think you'll find that if you really want to follow Christ and take up your cross, and and maybe even more than that, if you want to experience transformation, false humility has got to be put on the altar for sacrifice. So let's start at the place we always start. What is false humility? Well, let's just quickly define humility, right? Because we we did actually talk about this a little bit in episode 11 of season one, which was about pride, because there is a relationship between pride and humility. But we need to talk about humility in just a little bit more detail to understand what false humility is. So pride and humility are kind of like on the same continuum, like as ideas, right? I don't know if they're at the extreme ends of each other because let's face it, this is not a science. But humility would be at the end, which we would call having a sober judgment of ourselves. And that's exactly how the Bible describes it in Romans 12 verse 3, having a sober judgment. Like to me, that means like a balanced assessment of ourselves, like not one that is overinflated and certainly one that's not underinflated. I don't know if that's a word. We've just made it one. We see that compared to others, this is the position of humility, compared to others, we are neither higher nor lower in our value and standing, but we are the same. We are equal. And before God, because basically humility and pride have this kind of two-way relationship. It, It looks at yourself in contrast to others and also in contrast to God. So before God, Humility means we recognize that God is far beyond our contemplation and he transcends us in holiness and righteousness and we are to respond accordingly to this fact and I suppose that's the position of humility is the response and we're often focused on the response. Now this is just one of the factors that I find so incredible about God, right? God is actually so far beyond our understanding. He is like 
huge, right? He's big as an idea. He is sovereign, right? He is mighty. He is the creator. And yet he almost, almost devalues his own life, which not quite literally, but you know what I mean. He devalues his own life in service to our needs for salvation. And so the natural response to a true revelation of his transcendence would be to surrender to him, to to honor him, to put our trust in him, to to ultimately love him and worship him. So basically, again, then humility is having a healthy respect for where you sit in the big scheme of things in light of God and in light of our fellow humans. So what is false humility then? We Christians in our efforts to identify the presence of a trait or a characteristic will often reduce a heart posture to a set of behaviours. In all honesty, I don't really blame us for doing this because how else are we supposed to know whether we are genuinely patient or genuinely kind, right? Because the heart is deceptive and who can understand it? That's what the Bible tells us. The fact is that we often don't have a deep enough connection with our own feelings and the responses of our hearts to properly assess how obedient we actually are in our Christian principles. We often mistake things for another. For instance, we mistake justice for revenge or we mistake infatuation for love. We mistake people-pleasing for service and there are many, many more. Now, the truth is our behaviors do tell us a lot about what we really believe, but not all of them. We can be deceived by our own behaviors, right? Because there are conscious behaviors and there are unconscious behaviors. Our conscious behaviors are often not our most genuine acts. They are the actions we are taking with an awareness of maybe the company that we're in or the way we want to feel about ourselves or just... I don't know, people watching, right? Okay, that's probably the most common. But our words are also included in this. We we have conscious speech and we have unconscious speech. Conscious speech is what we choose to say when we have an awareness of the circumstances we're in and how those words might sound, right? You know, I've often had friends who'll go, oh, you know, and something, oh, actually, don't worry about it. And I'll say, well, what were you going to say? Oh, don't worry about it. And I think to myself, but you already thought it. So why don't you just say it? Like, actually, the reason you don't want to say it is because you don't really like how it sounds. It doesn't mean that it's not true and that you didn't think it, right? Anyway, our unconscious speech is the most honest of our speech. It's the stuff we say when we aren't concerned about the atmosphere we're in. It's what accounts for that significant disparity that we often see between our at-home behavior or our outside-of-home behavior, right? You know how that's... um, Well, okay, look, I'll give you a personal example. When I'm outside of the house, I am a social butterfly and I'm super talkative and I'm, you know, fun and crazy and all that kind of stuff. And it's not that it's not me, but for some reason being in a group dynamic changes what I'm like. And I think it's because at heart I'm a performer. (sighs) Anyway, but when I'm at home, I'm quite introverted. I read I'm quiet. I don't like the fact that my husband and my daughter always have the TV on or music on or just loudness in general. And the minute they're out of the house, I have it silent. I love it, right? So that's a little bit of an idea of what I mean by this disparity between our at-home behavior and our outside-of-home behavior. So even with conscious behaviors and speech, there are still things that kind of slip through to the goalie, right, without our intent. 
And they're the hints that give away what we might really be thinking or what might really be happening in our heart. We might be able to see it in how frequently we talk about something or the the pattern of emotional responses that we have or statements that we make that we just aren't really thinking about at the time, right? These all reveal something about us to those around us without us intending to. And this happens because we don't actually have perfect awareness of ourselves. We cannot actually keep such a strong leash on our thoughts and our behaviours and our words. We, we cannot actually do that. We don't have perfect awareness. So our unconscious behaviours are a much better indicator of what is actually going on inside of us. And they are often the behaviours and words that we are most ashamed of. That's why we're trying to hide them. Yes, I did kind of digress, but this context is really important in discussing the intricacies of false humility. So let's talk about false humility now. If we were to facilitate a brainstorming session and attempt to answer the question, what does humility look like in a believer? I reckon these, what I'm about to say, are the kinds of things that we would say, softly spoken, that they're gentle, you know, like with touch. And of course, with their words, but I've already said they're quick to apologize and own up to mistakes. They might be modest in how they dress or their possessions. They're not domineering, especially in conversation. In fact, they might be like really good at listening. They serve, they do things, they're practical in blessing others. Generosity. And of course, and probably most importantly, obedience and diligence to obeying God's word. Now, here's the fact, right? We would rarely consider someone who is loud, a bit rough, bossy, brash, tight, and maybe even wealthy, someone who is humble. And yet the reality is, if you really have a think about it, none of those qualities actually disqualify someone from being humble. They're just outer traits. They don't necessarily suggest anything about the posture of someone's heart in reference to God and others. Now, David's elder brother actually made this mistake when he misunderstood David's intention when he was visiting them on the battlefield. In 1 Samuel 17, 28, Goliath has just been threatening the Israelite army. David is there to see it, and he I think he was like delivering cheese or something, which I just think like, man, if I was working and I had a sibling who delivered me cheese, I'd just love them, right? Cheese of all things. Sorry, I, I lose my focus when I talk about cheese. Okay, David is there and he's watching this and he asks people in the army, like what will be given to the person who is able to beat Goliath, right? Maybe there's a few cogs going on in his brain that he's, you know, starting to think about maybe he could do it. But none of that would be have been obvious, right? He's just asking. And at this, David's eldest brother is actually infuriated and he accuses him of being prideful. So listen to what he says. He says, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. I actually really love David's response in this too, by the way. So if you haven't read this narrative, you need to go read it because he's basically like, what, what did I do now? <laughs> yeah, like classic sibling response. Anyway, there is really nothing about what David was doing or saying 
that actually could have been judged as prideful or humble, right? It's just not. There's nothing to indicate that he was doing either of those, right? So you can see then that humility doesn't always look like the image we have of humility and neither does pride. Humility is a heart posture and is not easily detected in our behaviours or words or alone. And I think if we really want to be honest with ourselves, we have somewhat turned humility into a persona. We've gone, this is what humility is. This is what humility looks like in a person. And maybe it's because there are people that we know that are, you know, we would deem humble and we've looked at how they act and we've deduced that that's what it means to be humble. Anyway, I'll tell you another way in which I know this, right? Every one of the behaviors that I've listed earlier from our little brainstorming session, which was fake, can be done inauthentically. It can be faked, right? So the first one, softly spoken. I can tell you now that I have met some of the most beautiful older ladies. Like now, the reason I'm saying older ladies is because when I think humility, I actually think old ladies because they're always gentle and nice and kind and very grandmotherly and all that kind of stuff. But I will tell you that I've met some that seem so gentle, right? but they are selfish and hateful, like some of the things that have come out of their mouths. Now, it sort of feels a bit like an oxymoron, right? But yes, a soft voice doesn't really mean humility. And we we make an error when we assume that. Okay, gentleness, like that's probably coupled with the same thing. But the point is, is that it is easily fate. Okay, the third one I said was that they were quick to apologize and own up to mistakes. Now, I would even say that this can be over-apologizing too, right? So sometimes the people we've, sorry, have um, judged or thought were humble are actually people who over-apologize. But also, you know how an apology can also not be an apology, right? Like, for sure you've seen this. Like, I've heard people do that kind of thing of, oh, well, I'm sorry, you know, like when they're in a bit of a tizzy and, you know, it's not really a sorry. They've just been pushed into a corner and they don't really know what to do about it. So this sorry comes out, but really they don't actually think their behavior was incorrect. They just don't know how to handle the situation, right? Now, and and here's the other thing, like just because you say the word sorry doesn't mean it's actually an apology. Have you ever had someone say to you, I'm sorry that you feel that way? That's not an apology. That's them saying that you feel that way, like as in you've made a wrong assessment of the situation and there's no taking of responsibility in that statement. I mean, another one I've had is that sometimes someone will say sorry to you, but then they'll continue to attempt to kind of explain why they did it and how they were right. Like that's not an apology. I don't know what the purpose of that was. Like anyway, my point is it can be faked and it's probably faked I mean, I've listed at least three ways just then. Okay, the fourth one that I mentioned was modesty in possessions and clothing. So that is super easy to fake, maybe the easiest of things to fake. All you got to do is go to the shops that don't have fancy clothes. Like, you know, I mean, it's actually pretty hard to do that now that I think about it because even like the big W's and the targets of the world still have some all right clothes. Anyway, you get my point. It can be faked. Not domineering, especially in conversation, or maybe even that they're a good listener was the one that I said next. Now, I've heard some of the most undomineering people in larger conversations, right? So when you're in a group setting, they're like super like placid and they just listen and 
They come across as really humble, but then when they're not in that setting, they're you know, all the criticisms come out and they tell you how they shouldn't have been doing it that way and they're super judgmental and very opinionated. And at the end of the day, it wasn't that they were humble. They're just not confrontational, right? Okay, the next one I said was serving and doing and all that kind of stuff. Now, serving and doing is probably the most easiest thing to be faked. And if I'm being honest, it's probably the thing that gets faked in Christian community the most, right? Often the reason we do serve and we do, you know, love in a practical way or whatever, like whether it's in church or elsewhere, is because we want approval. It's because we want to be loved. We like feeling needed. I mean, it can even get to another extreme where it's super prideful, where it's that kind of attitude of, well, nobody else can do this like me or nobody can do it as good as me or what are they doing? They don't know what they're doing. Oh, I need to get involved, right? And there's even like a form of control too, Well, you know, that you want to have things your way. So you get involved and you serve so that it's done your way. There is definitely many layers to serving that unfortunately – as believers, I don't think we have analysed or considered the various benefits that we get that are actually sinister. Then uh, Sinister is a terrible word to use because it makes us sound evil, but it's just that it's not done with a pure agenda. I hope that makes sense. The next one I said was generosity. Being generous can easily be faked. You know when it's time for the bill to be paid and everyone argues over the bill? Well, in some cultures, that's actually tradition. Like even if you don't want to pay, it's what you do. Another version of this also might be refusing gifts. You know, we pretend that we aren't good enough to receive a gift because we're so humble, but actually there might be some other reason. And I'll talk about that a bit later. And the last one was obedience and diligence to obeying God's word. And of course, we already know. I mean, I did a whole episode on hypocrisy. We know that this one can be faked and it can be faked well. Some of the least humble people are those that know the word, maybe even teach the word, and they believe that they obey it. Now, all of this is what you call false humility. It's when you do something to be perceived as humble, but it's actually not genuine humility. Ironically, it can be pride dressed up as humility and it deceives Christian people every day. It deceives you about yourself, right? We trust people like this. We allow ourselves to become like this all because we are more concerned about looking humble than being humble. The worst thing about false humility to me is that it can prevent genuine transformation. See, I don't really know why Christians are even involved in this thing called faith and Christianity if it's not because they want to experience transformation. And yet when you have false humility, there is absolutely no way to experience genuine transformation. It prevents you from seeing the truth about who you are and the ways in which God wants to heal and lead you in that. And there's a good chance that it also prevents you from seeing the truth about who God is too. The fact is that false humility can even be a low self-worth disguised as humility. I mentioned earlier that we aren't so connected to what's really going on in us and that we often mistake things like justice for revenge and so on, right? Well, this is one of those areas. We often think we are being humble, but 
actually we just have a really low self-esteem. We let others talk because we don't really value our own thoughts. We over-apologize because we feel shame for our errors. We're others conscious because we're paranoid about upsetting people and feeling rejected, not because we love them and we want to serve them. Or we serve because we think our life only has value if it's doing things for others. By the way, if you want to know if any of that is true for you, Consider how willing you are to compromise your own health to serve others, especially on an ongoing basis, right? Because I'm not saying that there isn't a cost to serving. There definitely is a cost. And I don't know if that cost is supposed to be always all the time, right? But there is a cost that is actually too much at times. There's a cost that makes you sick and makes you unhealthy as a human being. Sometimes a real reason we can't accept a gift or we over-apologize and we do all of these things is because we actually don't feel good enough. It may not seem as bad as pride, but it's still a self-deception. It's still not real humility. It's still not having a sober judgment. And it does have its own negative consequences, like overwork. Our beliefs about how humility looks often gets us into theological problems too. It's the reason why we often struggle to simultaneously contemplate the humble Jesus and the outbursting in the temple Jesus who overturns tables and chases out people. This feels like cognitive dissonance to us. Uh, I should probably explain what that is. So cognitive dissonance is is where there is like a contradiction or inconsistency between what we say we think and what we do. It doesn't always have to be what we do. It can just be that we have two ideas that are at conflict with each other and the point of all of that is is that there is actually a mental cost involved in trying to hold contradictions right it's probably part of the reason we get depressed it's probably part of the reason we get anxious because it's actually impossible for two opposing ideas to coexist so we struggle to contemplate this when it comes to Christ right we struggle to contemplate that Christ actually did not lose his humility in his outburst, we, we struggled to see that in that moment, nothing had actually changed about his posture. And some of that is because of our own Western ideals about anger. We have a real discomfort with anger, another topic that I have listed to do one day. Maybe we'll get to it soon. But again, humility is not a list of behaviors. And if we think it is, we're at risk of living a false humility kind of faith. Now, there is only one reason we ever falsify anything in life, including humility. And here it is. This might just be the light bulb you've been needing, right? There is benefit in it. Okay, that sounded so simple, right? Here's the truth. Ultimately, that is the crux of all behavior in life. We do things because there is some benefit in it for us. Even our unhelpful behaviors are often motivated by the benefits we are willing or sorry, I should say we are unwilling to acknowledge. And boy, are there some benefits to false humility, especially in the Christian world. And I'm going to list them for you now. Number one, self-preservation. I don't actually think that there could be a greater benefit to us than self-preservation when it comes to false humility. False humility puts us in this rare position where we can be safe amongst our Christian peers who, let's face it, we're really suspicious, are very judgmental, and we can appear like we belong, like we're one of them, and our heart issues are never 
really shown. Like we, we never have to have our heart issues confronted by anyone because we've kept everyone, including ourselves, far enough away from what the truth is inside of us. Nobody can see it. Self-preservation is probably the most significant and the most common reason we would participate in false humility. The second one, respect. Strangely, in certain Christian communities, we elevate humility. Now, I say that's strange because humility is the idea of not being elevated in a way, right? Humility looks good. That's the truth. Like, it's not really like this just in Christian community either. Like, nobody really likes a know-it-all or an egotistical person, except for maybe in basketball players for some reason. But anyway, you get what I'm trying to say. But in Christian community, it has this added benefit of spiritual superiority, of I'm actually a really good person, right? Now, I think there are a lot of leaders in the church world who have actually deceived people into thinking that they were holier because of this, because of this respect. And I'm going to give you a very controversial example, Ravi Zacharias. Now, I know the jury is still out on whether he did the things they say he did. I mean, the fact is, if you go and read the report, which I did, it's actually pretty hard to refute, even if he was alive, right? It could be difficult to fabricate what was reported in this. But I digress. The point is, is that Ravi did have that humble speaking style. When he was on the platform, he was gentle. He was considerate with words. He was very wise. He was poignant. And he had all of these awesome stories about conversations he'd had with other people. And of course, they always demonstrated that he was very insightful. That's why he was given the kind of authority and status that he was in the Christian world. And maybe it was all via the Spirit, right? I don't want to try and say that, you know, just because those things happened, that there wasn't a time where the Spirit was truly working in him and that the way he behaved uh, didn't have anything to do with the Spirit. I'm sure it did. But those who sound humble are given another level of respect in the Christian world and we can't deny that respect is a benefit we all really want. Number three, opportunity. Humility is such an attractive quality in the Christian world that it actually opens doors for people. Let's be honest, there is a reason Peter is picked on a lot by Christian preachers. Throughout the Gospels, he comes across as emotional and brash and even cocky. You know, they're qualities that we would never associate with humility. If you were to ask any believer what disciple or biblical character they would most like to be like, I can guarantee you that Peter is not even in the top three, and yet Jesus saw him as critical to the establishment of the church. Now, maybe we'd choose Paul, although I think the level of suffering he endured might actually scare us off. Maybe you would choose David. You know, David's probably a really common choice, actually. But I reckon a lot of us would also not choose John. Even though John is articulate and he captures the life of Jesus so well, there's one issue, isn't there? Something that makes us feel uncomfortable or maybe not even just discomfort. We actually laugh about it. We've heard sermons where we tease him about it, right? It's this, how frequently he said he was the one who Jesus loved. That makes us feel uncomfortable, right? I mean, Jesus loved everyone. How dare he suggest a special relationship superior to others? John is big noting himself and, and, and it makes us a little bit annoyed. Here's the real reason why John's statement makes us uncomfortable. It's because of false humility. Maybe Jesus really did used to say this. How could we possibly know that? 
I can guarantee you that I at some point have said, John, geez, like even if you think that you are the one that Jesus loved, you wouldn't say it, right? I've definitely said that in my head or, you know, whatever, when people are talking about it. And I'm sure that other people, A, would either agree with my statement or make it themselves. Now that statement is actually our false humility coming out. Anyway, I kind of digress. Opportunity, that's what I was talking about. So the fact is this was like a common practice, like at least in the last 50 years, this idea that putting yourself forward for opportunities meant that you weren't humble. If you said you wanted to be a worship leader, you could be the most talented worship leader out there and you put yourself up and say, I really think I'm called to be a worship leader. It would be assumed that you had an issue with pride and that you wanted to be the center of attention or have some sort of self-glory going on. And it's the same if you wanted to be a pastor and it was the same if you wanted to be a preacher. Anything that was a platform ministry, if you said you wanted to do it, you would be classed as prideful. Now, what leaders in those days didn't realize, this was a bit they were not accountable with themselves on, is that they were actually often very biased in their own choices of who should do those roles too. And, you know, in some ways, this philosophy certainly has kept racism and sexism simmering in the church at times. But how were you to be picked then? Like putting your name forward or saying that you believe that you have a calling to something is not actually humble or not, or not right? Like there's got nothing to do with humility. Like you feel a calling in your heart that often at times God has put there. But the decision would be that you weren't humble. And so what could you do? You, you would have to fake it. So there were always people in church who were try to fake being really humble so that they could be chosen to do the things that they felt God calling them to do, right? Like what an awful reality. Like that is an awful predicament. You would feel shame for thinking that you were called to something. I'm really glad that that kind of culture is is not really the norm anymore, like at least not in the places I've been in in, in recent years. All right, number four, superiority. Genuine humility would never actually manifest as superiority. It would never presume one's like superiority over another because it would fail to actually be humility if, if you thought that way, right? But one of the benefits of false humility in this instance is that it does actually elevate you above others. It's partly because of the respect others give you, but partly because you have believed in your own righteousness. The falsely humble are the most likely people besides people who are outright proud to judge others. Believing you are better than others is absolutely a benefit of false humility. It places us in a social stratosphere in Christian community where we begin to believe we are the image of Christianity and therefore the image of God. And when you're so busy excluding everyone from your own spiritual presence, you don't have to look at yourself because you've already made it. A very typical manifestation of false humility that comes under this category of superiority is the tendency to take the higher road. Now, I'm not against taking the higher road, right? But only if it's actually genuine. Like sometimes there's a, uh, anyway, I'm explaining things before I have a chance. Often people don't choose the higher road because it's right, but because it makes them feel better than the person they are at loggerheads with, right? So in Christian circles, the higher road is often the road that looks more humble. It could be forgiving the other person. You might not have actually forgiven the person at all, 
But that's not what we tell other people. And saying that we've forgiven them gives us a position of spiritual superiority amongst our community. Sometimes our choices are not at all fueled by the more righteous choice, but even as a form of vindication. So, okay, being really transparent here, when I left my role as a small groups pastor, my desire to be successful in writing and podcasting at first, right, was because I wanted to prove a few people wrong. There's a few people uh, that didn't really think I could be a pastor or didn't really think that I had anything to offer. So, I got vindication confused with revenge. I needed to feel superior because they made me feel inferior. Now, God dealt with my errors and that's all well and truly the past, but hopefully that gives you an idea of how false humility has its benefit of superiority. And the last one, improved self-image. Probably one of the biggest benefits we gain from being humble, even if it's not real humility, is our own improved self-image. Now, this is going to show you how truly fragile we are in this Western world and in this age. When we are forced to really take a look at ourselves, it is hard not to see the utter muck within us, right? And I'm not a shame, frenzied kind of preacher, pastor, whatever you want to call me, right? I don't gravitate towards shameful thoughts and I don't gravitate towards guilty thoughts. There's, that's a lot of the stuff I've already dealt with with God. But the truth is that there is muck in us. We can't really deny it. Sin has truly done a number on us. When I made a decision to truly be led by the Spirit in all ways, known to me, right, and to confront the pink elephants in me, to confront the many signs that I lacked depth, what I discovered is the deeper I have gone, the more I have seen the depth of my sin and the depth of love and grace in God too, right? It's actually not a fun journey, if I'm being honest. And I must confess a bit of, I guess, guilt. I sometimes feel like there's a little bit of false advertising in, in what I've previously marketed this this podcast to be like. And, and to be honest, it's unintentional. It's just as I've gone on over the years, I've kind of realized that where I started is not where I've ended up, right? But trying to discover what's missing in our faith hasn't always made me more satisfied or more content like I thought it would. I don't know how to explain this, right? Because I would never turn back time and choose to be that shallow person again. But pursuing depth in my relationship with God hasn't changed that I get depressed sometimes. In fact, the intensity with which I feel depressed is sometimes worse, but it's not at all about the same things. So I feel depressed at times that the Christian world is as it is and that we're all so distracted. Whereas before, I got depressed that I didn't get the promotion I wanted. I feel so sad these days that the millennial and Gen Z generation have almost been written off by Christians and, and therefore neglected because the church has been too preoccupied with its preferences and pig-headedly maintaining the status quo. Whereas before I started this journey, I would get depressed that I was 30 years old and I still hadn't travelled to Italy. You get what I mean, right? So I really regret nothing because if you're going to be depressed about something, I suppose it ain't so bad that it's because of the state of the world rather than the shallow self-centered things I've wanted in life. Now, I'm not saying that the things I want aren't shallow or that I shouldn't want things. But anyway, I'm getting too analytical, which sometimes happens in my head. That's what I'm trying to say. My point is in all of this, that most of the time we struggle to handle the muck that's inside us. 
We don't want to know what's down there. And sometimes it's for good reasons too. If we are honest, we don't actually have the mental resilience to be able to handle the depth of our brokenness psychologically. Like that's that's called breakdown material, right? We've been given so many messages of guilt and shame and condemnation that finding out that we aren't that good would actually spiral us. I mean, we already feel like we're not good enough. Discovering our humanity was never meant to be like that. It wasn't meant to make us lose it. It wasn't meant to it wasn't meant to make us have a breakdown. It was meant to humble us. We have no right to judge others when the truth is deep down inside we are all driven by the same things. Pleasure, comfort, protection. Even our desires to be righteous can come from the same place as the person who desires to be bad, right? You could want to be righteous to feel comfort. That's the same reason someone might take drugs. That's how at the core of it, we're actually all really the same. One of the greatest benefits of false humility in the body of Christ is that we don't have to look inside of us. It helps us feel good enough to keep going and keep rewarding our pretense. We see what we want to see and not what is really there. All right, let's go deeper. The biggest problem with false humility is that in all cases, and you can challenge me on this, right? In all cases, the assessment of humility is being based on how we feel. We are quite literally determining our level of humility based on the fact that we feel humble, and that is a rather fickle measuring tool. A while back when Ravi Zacharias's misdemeanors came to light, I wrote an article in which I addressed some of the most common questions we ask when we discover a fall of leadership. And I was sort of trying to talk about disillusionment, right, because that's my that's my thing, that's my uh, book and theme and, you know, all that kind of stuff. The first question I asked was how could he do it? That was the question that is one of the most common things that someone who might be already a bit disillusioned about Christian leadership would say in response to a fall of leadership. Now, we often reason that a person's conscience will prevent them from sinning, but the conscience is a super inconsistent idea. It differs from one person to the next. I mean, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 4 that his conscience is clear, but that does not make him innocent. If we are waiting for our conscience to be our guide on behavior, we aren't relying on a foolproof system. Or alternatively, if you are sinning and you don't really feel bad about it, that also doesn't make you innocent. That's why the standards of behavior as defined in the law are actually so useful to us. They have been objectively defined by a higher power than us who is able to see the beginning from the end. The point of all of this is to say that judging our own humility by how we feel is as foolproof as relying on our conscience to tell us what is right or wrong. Now, I'm not saying that the conscience doesn't have some element of usefulness, right? That just wouldn't be consistent with Scripture either. And likewise, feelings should not be dismissed, which is so often what happens in the Christian world. We simply must acknowledge that assessing the truth of a situation based on how we feel is probably not the wisest way of detecting the truth. Romans was actually so remarkably accurate when the author said to have a sober judgment of oneself. Don't assume that what you feel is right. Don't assume that your conscience has this covered. Soberly assess your humility. So 
if it is so hard to work out if you if we are humble or falsely humble, how are we ever going to really detect it then? Now I have to admit this is hard, and I've had to really rack my brains to work out how I never get caught up again in this web of false humility. Ultimately, it's about detecting the intricacies of pride or a low self-worth amidst surface-level humility. That's what you're trying to do when you are trying to work out if someone or yourself is falsely humble. So this list that I'm going to give you are more like examples to kind of give you an idea of what it might look like, of what you might see, right? So the first one, a person who tells you about how important they are and all the things they've done but then refuses a reward in honour of their achievements. Can you see how that's really subtle? On the one hand, they're often talking about themselves. Oh, you know, and I did this and, you know, they were, they, the government was wanting to look at how good I was doing things and all this kind of stuff. But then when they're in a situation where they could be rewarded for their, for their you know, works, they kind of go, oh, yes, oh, don't, no, please don't give me. Like the fact is is that your attention and your praise when they told you about all of the great things they've done, is actually already the reward, right? That's what the Bible tells us, that, you know, the people who pray on the corner with loud voices have already received their reward. So really, they have already sought reward for their achievements, right? See how subtle that is? Okay, another one. They might actually boast about how humble they are. I know this one actually sounds like an oxymoron, right? And I know there's all these kind of jokes out there, you know, my greatest quality or my greatest strength is my humility. <laughs> you know, I've heard all that sort of stuff before, but it literally happens, okay? So they might boast about how servant-hearted they are or how, how busy they are because of all the serving they do, or they boast about how content they are with the small house they have and their meager position uh, positions, I meant possessions, right? Another one, they might drop their title or position in superiority, like in a conversation, but then they'll try and sort of reverse that and, and you know, try and tell them, you know, oh, you know, it's just a calling though. You know, so I'm sort of imagining a situation where you're like at a barbecue or whatever and you say, oh, so what do you do for work? Oh, I'm a senior pastor of a church because we all know that that's the, the second top role on the hierarchy of honourable roles to do in the Christian world, right? Number one is missionary. So number two, oh, I'm a senior pastor. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. Oh, you know, but it's just it's just a calling. It's, you know, I'm no different to anyone else. Like that. Can you see that? False humility. Okay, another one. They may gossip and criticise someone and they're actually being really harsh. But the end of it, they'll try and like sort of say something like, oh, you know, but we're all human. Oh, you know, they mean well. Here's the truth. Everybody does actually need to vent sometimes, you know, like you have your trusted friends because – I only have like one or two friends that I talk to about the stuff that's really serious and the stuff that I'm struggling with and the stuff that, you know, might be annoying me and other people. I don't because once it goes beyond those two friends, let's let's be real, it's gossip, right? And they're got to be trusted friends. They're got to be people you know who will not go and tell that stuff to other people. That's how you can be sure that you're able to talk about things and process things but not actually gossip, right? Everybody needs to vent sometimes, right? Even if it's not actually super constructive, it's just that we need to get out some things to understand what we think about it, right? It's not just a vent because something's annoying. We should also be considering why is this thing annoying me so much? There is some opportunity in it to see a deeper level of reflection. And sometimes you can only do that when you vent. So it's often the case for me because 
um, you know, I could, it can be a bit of a verbal processor at times. When something has really confused me, I absolutely have to verbally process and other people are like that too, right? But being super critical of someone without grace doesn't actually sound nice, right? And the falsely humble know that. And these after-the-fact kind of statements like, well, you know, they're only human or whatever, they totally are there to try and balance out a whole conversation where we were just having a go at someone, right? It's a balancing out statement. We don't actually like how it sounded when we were talking really meanly about someone. So we have to say this statement to like balance it out. That's a false humility kind of thing. So you can see that there is also this kind of equalizing behavior, right? The unconscious behavior comes out, which clearly doesn't sound nice. And then something humble is done to equalize and balance that behavior out, which is not, it's actually not genuinely humble. It's just something we say because we know it doesn't sound right to talk the way we just did. Now, what I'll tell you is that is 100% for for the benefit of the individual. They don't like how they sounded. So then they do this balancing and equalizing behavior to make them feel better about who they are. But why do we need to feel better all the time? There's much, 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 much more opportunity in seeing the filth that we just said and having an opportunity to transform what's in our heart if we don't try and equalize. So equalizing is kind of another sign of a false humility, like an attempt to feel better and to judge yourself according to how you feel because it makes you feel better that you're not actually an awful person if you at the end of it go, well, you know, they're only human and, you know, I'm sure they would do this for you or whatever, right? I think it's important to state here that the individuals who surround us may not be doing any of this intentionally. They might actually be completely blind to it. It's more like a habit. It's become a habit of speech to protect ourselves, to protect ourselves from others. And really, I'm not gearing us up to know this information to be able to judge others. We need this to ensure that we aren't deceived. This isn't what it's about. It's not about judging others and going, oh, they're falsely humble and they're falsely humble, because I can guarantee you that some of this is in you because some of it comes from our Christian community, as in we're all doing this to survive with each other in peace and non-judgmental harmony and utopia, right? But the fact is, is that we need to know this to ensure that we aren't deceived and we don't deceive ourselves, right? Now, all of the things that I've just said, which are only just examples, and there would probably be many, many more if we had the chance to dig and talk about it more. All of these things would not actually be easily detected the first time you meet someone. In fact, I reckon you probably wouldn't even notice it until you've known them for a little while. And worse yet, they're not very easily detected in ourselves. Like, I mean, you just heard what I said. We do this behavior to make ourselves feel all right. The only time we ever really uh, really pay attention to how we behave is when we don't feel good, which is not good, right? Because our conscience can be deceived. Anyway, so how do we address it? How do we address this in ourselves? Like if if you have listened to everything I've said and you've gone, oh, hang on a minute, I do that. Well, this is how, because again, it's so subtle, it's very hard to recognize in yourself. This is my little keys for how you address it for yourself. Number one, pray. Only God can really understand and know what is in our hearts. And if you want to be truly humble, you'll ask him to bring to the surface the truth of what is in your heart. 
pray. That's the first one. Always pray. Number two, don't pass up the opportunity to reflect on your actions. I recently commented on someone's comment on a post, which I literally never do. In fact, it's kind of a bit of a policy of mine, right? But I have this strange habit of actually going and reading the comments because I guess I really do want to know what Christian people think about certain things that are said. But at a weaker moment, I relented and I commented and kind of challenged this person's comment. And she then responded with some evidence of her opinion, as you would expect. But then she also added that she felt that I had been really rude to her, which I actually genuinely wasn't meaning to be. I mean, I look back on that message and I may have been a bit short, but obviously when you write text or anything, there is like a lot of interpretation that can be put into that too. So I could understand why she felt like I was being rude to her, but my intent was not to be rude to her. I just genuinely couldn't work out the logic of her statement. So I decided I would end the discussion by apologizing. I essentially took the high road. Now, I could have just let that go, but I thought, no, Mel, don't pass up an opportunity to examine your heart. What you feel does not matter as much as what is true. So I stopped myself and I asked myself, why did I do that? Did I do that because I wanted to show myself to be humble? Did I want to look like the righteous one? This is what I mean when I say don't pass up an opportunity. When you notice yourself boasting, when you are worried about how something might make you be perceived, when you are judging someone else, when you gossip but wouldn't say that to the person's face, ask yourself why you did it. Is it because you wanted to feel good and show others that you were good? Were you trying to hide the buck from yourself because you didn't want to know the truth? Okay, that's probably the bulk of what I want to say, but... I noticed that I haven't used a lot of scriptures in this episode, which usually is not the case. But in truth, the term false humility is not actually mentioned in scripture. And and that makes it a little bit hard because it means that we're going to look at individual situations and characters to be able to understand where false humility is present. And I think I do have one story where I think what was at play was false humility. So, in Acts 5.1, we are introduced to a couple called Ananias and Sapphira. Or Sapphira? I don't know. I've heard people say it different ways, so I'm just going to go with what's natural to me. Ananias and Sapphira owned land, which probably indicated that they were quite wealthy. Ananias and Sapphira decided to sell their property, as was the trend at the time amongst the Christian community, and they put all of the money from that sale at the feet of the apostles. But what they didn't tell the apostles, was that they didn't actually give all of the money. They kept some for themselves. So let's hear what Peter says. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. All right, let's pick this up again in verse 7. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Now, this is where we realize that the issue here is not that they kept some money for themselves, right? The fact is, There was no expectation that they had to do that in the first place, right? But they clearly lied about what they got for the sale to make it appear as though they were giving everything to the apostles. 
Okay, verse 9. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. It's actually a very confronting and very intense story. Like, it is actually quite shocking that the Holy Spirit would strike them down dead. Worse things happen today without such a consequence, let's be real. So what's the point? The point is that Ananias and Sapphira lied about the cost of their house for one reason and one reason only. They wanted to give the impression that they had a faith and a generosity that they actually didn't have at the time. It was all about appearance. To me, that looks a lot like false humility. And we should take the seriousness of the warning here that Peter gives. When we falsify the attitudes of our heart for the sake of saving face or or looking good amongst our peers, we might be lying to ourselves, but worst of all, God believes that we are lying to him. We communicate very clearly to God that the opinion of others means more to us than his opinion of us. So that's it on the topic of false humility, but we can't finish this discussion without finally considering the humility of Jesus. You know, Jesus is perfectly honest with us. There is a unity between what he says, does, and what he projects about who he is. And we aren't actually able to do this. Not like that. I mean, the fact is that God wouldn't give us a target to to aim for if there wasn't a possibility that we could. So it's not that we couldn't entirely. It's unlikely. But it means that if we actually really dealt with the stuff in us, There is a possibility that we could experience the same kind of unity between what we say, what we do, and what actually gets projected to others, a unity in our heart and in our actions. You know, maybe Jesus has no reason to ever be falsely humble because everything in him is good, right? There's nothing to hide, not like us. Well, that's at least what we think. That's the error of our own self-perception is that we also have no reason to hide too. Yes, we are sinners. Yes, we absolutely have muck. But not a single person on this planet has the right to judge us for any of that because they also have the same muck. The only person who has the right to judge us chooses not to, and that's Jesus. So sometimes we have to make peace with the muck, especially if we want to experience true transformation because the muck is never really going away. We always have the muck. Our only chance at having a muck-free life is experiencing true transformation through the molding and purifying process that God wants us to go through and it requires us to drop false humility to be able to deal with it and to be able to get there. So are you going to falsify your humility for man or are you going to be truly humble before God? Thanks for listening to this episode of The Pink Elephant. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or you can check out my resources on my website, meljsayward.com.